You're listening to the Bethel University Chapel Podcast, recorded from the Everstwar Chapel Fine Arts Center in Mishawaka, Indiana. Thanks for listening. Man, it is truly an honor and a gift to get to be with you guys today, to get to open the word and to see what God wants to say to us. Uh, I got a little caught off guard right there. I saw that picture of my fam. So uh, you saw my bride, Monique. Uh, We've been married for 14 years and I got two little ones. Oh yeah, what's up? Yeah, she's amazing. Um, uh, Two little ones, Noah and Micah, and uh, they have sent me out today to come hang with you guys today. So uh, I'm just excited to see what it looks like for us to open the word and ask God to show us something. I know even coming off of last week and leading into our time today, uh, you're looking at the idea of being on mission. What does it look like for us to understand the implications of following the way of Jesus here on earth right now? And that's one of the things that I want to invite us to think about as we jump into the word together, to ask this one question. What does what we're reading mean for our lives on earth right now? What does what we're reading today mean for us today? Because if we're not careful, sometimes when we jump in the word, we can think about it as important for times past. Think about the historical significance and maybe how it shaped what life looked like moving forward in some ways, but the Bible feels distant from us and very far away. Or maybe we would be deceived to think that what we read in the Bible is only important for our lives later on after we die. Like maybe our position with God and what that means for us for eternity after life on earth is really the main significance of reading the scriptures. But If we do that, we miss the significance of the opportunity for connection with Christ here on earth. And it doesn't just matter for our lives when we die, but it actually can shape and change and redeem and restore our lives here. And so we're going to look in 2 Corinthians together today, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. It's only a few verses But we're going to look at a little bit of imagery that a guy named Paul is painting for us to understand what we're talking about. What does it look like for us to live in light of knowing Jesus and his work on the cross? What does life look like now? And it says in 2 Corinthians 2, 14, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. The triumphal procession. This isn't really something that we talk a lot about in our regular conversation. We don't hear the words triumphal procession very often, but During this time, the reader would have fully understood what Paul was getting after. This thought of a triumphal procession was really important. It's the idea that there would be uh, 
folks who would go out to a battle and they would fight in the battle. And when they returned home from the battle, the one who led the victory, the one who led them into victorious battle would lead them back home into where they came from. And as they returned back home from victorious battle, people would be lining the streets and awaiting their return. And as they entered into the city, they would be singing and they'd be clapping and they'd be dancing and they'd be cheering because the victory has been won. The one who led the victory would lead the parade. And in this parade, there would even be captives from the battle. The victory has been accomplished and the trappings of the win were being celebrated. And in this parade were the captives of the victory. And this imagery is really important because Paul is drawing a parallel to what it looks like for us following Jesus here on earth to be like. And he says it's just like a triumphal procession, a victory parade. We're about to see in a couple of weeks some team win the Super Bowl. And when they win the Super Bowl, they're going to go back to their city. And when they go back to their city, people are going to be everywhere and they're going to be celebrating the win. And what Paul is saying is just like the victorious celebration of a battle Jesus has won victory, and his victory is over sin and over death, and that victory is once for all. And we get to walk in the wake of his victory. We are the captives of Christ. We get to celebrate and live as a result of what he has done. He's out in front. He's the one we're celebrating. And the triumphal procession, all of the clapping and dancing and trumpets are for him. And we are now living in the wake of this. But what's interesting is in that first verse that I read, it says, There is this triumphal procession, but then it goes on to say, through us he spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So there is this celebration, this parade that's happening, all different kinds of celebration. One of the aspects of this celebration would have been the burning of stalks of incense. The incense, this fragrance, would have gone out from the center of the celebration, and this fragrance would have signified victory has been won. So even if you weren't close to the parade, even if you weren't there dancing and singing on the side of the street, the fragrance would be emanating from the city center, and you could smell, even if you weren't there, that victory has been won. So you imagine you want to be down there, you're wanting to celebrate, but you got stuck at home watching your little brother, your little sister, right? And you're not able to go party, but then all of a sudden you start to hear the music in the distance and the fragrance starts to emanate. It says in the scripture, it's through us that we become like that incense. 
So if the victory is Jesus out in front celebrating his defeat of sin and death, and we are living in the wake of this, we are now the mark of that victory going out from the parade into the world. We're like the fragrance. We're the smell that the world smells and signifies that the victory has been won. So the fragrance, the knowledge him. So it's an interesting idea because I think many of us, if we've been around church or studying the Bible or following Jesus for some time, would say, we understand that victory comes through the work of Christ alone. It's not up to us. Tells us in Ephesians, there's nothing we can do to earn God's favor. We did not do the work so that we could not boast. We remember the finished work of Jesus. But then we start thinking, well, that is true. There is a celebration, and he is out in front. But the idea that we would be the fragrance of the mark of his victory starts to feel a little bit overwhelming if we allow ourselves to be honest. Maybe not you guys, but for me, I start thinking about, well, Even though I know I'm a follower of Jesus, even though I know I get to be a captive in this procession, it still feels pretty crazy to think that my life, somebody like me, would be someone who would be the signification, the mark, the fragrance of Jesus' victory. That sounds like a lot of pressure. (laughs) Like, what does that actually look like? Because Even though I'm a follower of Jesus, or maybe I'm somebody who's been in rhythm with trying to learn more about him, if I'm honest, if people really knew who I was, I don't know if I'm the best representation all the time. So what does that look like? What what does it practically look like for us if we want to be on mission, living from the reality of the victory of Jesus, to actually be the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Well, the very next verse tells us how this is possible. In 2 Corinthians 2.15, it says, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We are the aroma of Christ. You may have heard this phrase before, This is something that is a part of the Christian vernacular. Like if you've ever read the Bible or maybe been a part of a Bible study, gone to church, this is a phrase that feels relatively common. And for me, it's one that even though I had heard it a lot, didn't really connect to my heart and what it actually meant for us till recently. Starting to think about being the fragrance and recognizing that I am the mark, I am the representation of the victory of Jesus, me, and my brokenness. Well, what can I do? How can I live so that this would be something that would be pleasing to God? And it goes on to say, we're the aroma of Christ. So trying to connect the dots to how this practically applies, I go to one of my very favorite things in the whole world, which is Coffee. How many coffee people do I have in the house? Anybody? Okay, got some coffee people. How many people hate coffee? I love you. I don't understand you, but I love you. I don't. 
But coffee is something that is really special to me. I, I love coffee. I love trying new coffee shops. I love trying new kinds of roasts of coffee beans. I love going to places and experiencing people's favorites. I love to learn where the coffee comes from. I love the stories. I love the culture around coffee. I love smelling coffee. I love making coffee, and I definitely love drinking coffee. Coffee is my jam, right? I love coffee. So coffee is something that has been important to me for a time. But alongside of the drinking of coffee, it's the experience in new spaces where coffee is made. I love coffee shops. I love to hang out with people and have conversations about Jesus and life and whatever over a cup of coffee. I love spending time getting to know the baristas at a coffee shop and getting the personality and the vibe of the place. I love coffee places. And it's not unheard of for me at times to sit in a coffee shop for hours on end. Maybe it's doing work on my computer. Maybe it's reading. Maybe it's meeting with people. But I love to be in the coffee shop. I remember one time I came home on a particular day from being at the coffee shop. And I walked in my house, I opened the door, and I went to give my wife a hug, Monique. And as I leaned in to give Monique a hug, she was like, huh? You smell like Starbucks, <laughs> right? Now, to me, I'm thinking, that's a pretty good thing, right? I mean, it can't be bad to smell like Starbucks, but apparently my bride had different feelings about said smell. So... I walk in, I had particularly been in Starbucks that day and had been spending a lot of time in Starbucks that day and didn't realize that now I smell like Starbucks. And she's like, I'll give you a hug, but before I give you a hug, you got to fix all that up. Like, just figure, figure out a way to get rid of some of that. And so I'm thinking about it because I didn't try to smell like Starbucks, I just smell like Starbucks. Like I was in Starbucks that day and I was working and I was hanging out and doing whatever I had to do. I didn't try to smell like Starbucks. I just smelled like Starbucks. The reason I smelled like Starbucks is because I had been in there for a long time. Now I started to think about it. Okay, if I went to Starbucks that day and I didn't stay in Starbucks, like I just went in, went to the counter. I ordered my coffee, I waited for it to be made, I grabbed it and went out the back door. I probably would not have smelled like Starbucks because it would have been a short time. I would have had my coffee, but I wouldn't have had the smell on me. For me to smell like Starbucks, I would need to sit, I would need to stay, and I would need to spend some time. It's interesting because I wouldn't really need to do anything intentionally to get the smell on me except for just be there. I just need to be there in the presence. I need to just sit and I need to marinate in the place and then all of a sudden the aroma starts to get in my clothes. So if I go in and I grab the coffee and I leave, I probably don't smell like it. There was another scenario that came to mind. What if I grabbed a Starbucks mug from my house 
Like if I got this mug that has a Starbucks logo, something I got for free or somebody gave to me or whatever, and I fill this mug up with coffee and I'm walking downtown in the city where I live and somebody sees me and says, hey, you've been to Starbucks. It's interesting because I got the mug and it's got the Starbucks logo on it. But even though I got the mug and it looks like I've been to Starbucks, I wasn't ever in Starbucks that day. So from a distance and from appearance, it's like, oh, you've been in Starbucks. But if they got up on me and they were close enough, they would realize, oh, even though it looks like you've been to Starbucks, you don't really smell like Starbucks. It's interesting that Paul would use this aroma thing to talk about what it's like for us to be the fragrance of the knowledge of him. What he's saying is, for us to have this fragrance, we need to be with Jesus. Like, we need to spend time with him. We need to sit, and we need to stay, and we need to be present. It's not about the illusion of whether or not we've been with Jesus. Some of us have our Jesus mug, and our Jesus mug has the Jesus logo, and from a distance, people go, oh, that person hangs out with Jesus. But the reality is, even though we got the mug, we haven't been with him. This is really challenging even to me as I'm saying it to you right now. Because what Paul is saying here is it's not about what we manufacture in the way that we put forward appearances. It's not about how much we put forward that we know and our intelligence that we can communicate. The aroma of Christ comes from sitting and staying and actually being with Jesus. And this is important because I know for me, I can so easily get caught up in the other things that have to do with the trappings that come with the coffee shop, the logo and the branding and all the stuff and all the cool things. And I can even buy beans from there and I can do all. But if I'm not actually sitting and staying, I'm not going to get the smell on me. You know, I think about what it's like for us to live on a Christian campus or to go to school where there's this intention to seek after the way of Jesus. I attended a Christian university as well, and I think what I look back on in my life during my years there is how much time I put forward the idea that I looked like I'd been with Jesus and how little I actually smelled like Jesus. The aroma of Christ, if people got close enough, I don't know if they would really smell that on me. And so the reason I share that is because it's truly a hopeful thing. Some of us might hear that and go, well, man, that's very challenging to me. But I hope we would hear it and say, Wow, for me to be the fragrance of the knowledge of him, I don't need to manufacture more stuff. I don't need to try to earn anything. I don't need to try to do more. What I need to do is seek to be in the presence of the Savior. I need to just find him. I need to be with him. And I need to sit. And I need to stay. And I need to wait. And I need to marinate. And I need to bask in his presence. And I need to pray. And I need to study. And I need to converse about who God is and what he's like. I don't need to try more. I need to just rest in who he is. And when I begin to spend time in his presence, it shapes and changes the way that I live. The verse 
goes on to say in 16, to one, this fragrance is from death to death. To the other, this fragrance is from life to life. So what he's saying is when we become the aroma of Christ and we go out into the world, some people will smell the aroma of Christ and that aroma will bring to the forefront of our mind death. So you might be thinking, how in the world could it ever be good to smell like death, <laughs> right? Well, what he's saying here is not you will smell like death. No, you smell like the aroma of Christ. It's beautiful. It's emanating from you, this pleasurable aroma of the presence of God. But what I realized is in the presence of the aroma of Christ, the things that are of death just need to die. You know why I know this? Did you guys know? I don't know if you guys know this. I know you guys are like, smart college students and stuff, so you might know this better than me, but did you guys know that, like, if you're a Christian, you're still tempted to sin? Did you guys know that? It's pretty crazy. (laughs) Man, it's wild. Even more than that, did you know that if you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, you actually still do sin? What? That's crazy. Like, if, if that's really true, which we know that it is, What that means is, even as somebody who is seeking to follow the way of Jesus with my life, someone who is submitted fully and wholly with all that I am to the way of Jesus, knowing he is my Savior, there are still things in my flesh that need to die. I am growing and learning, and I am being sanctified and shaped into his image every single day. But what I realize is that there are still things in me that should die. And you know what's so beautiful? When we're in the presence of the aroma of Christ, the things in me that need to die are exposed and I want to do everything I can to submit them to the foot of the cross. The aroma of Christ For some is the reminder of death. There are some of us who maybe would say when you started following Jesus that your life was changed and you were in his presence and you were carrying around your new Starbucks aroma and you're going out into the world and maybe some of the friends that you had, people that you knew, family members are kind of going, man, there's something different going on here. And as pleasing as the aroma is that you are emanating, for some, that aroma might bring to the forefront in their lives the things that they're about that they can sense you're no longer about. And therefore, this aroma brings forward the awareness of But then Paul goes on to say this beautiful fragrance of the knowledge of him, the aroma of Christ. For some, it reminds of death. But for others, this aroma brings forward memories of life. This aroma brings us to life. I was thinking about when I was walking downtown in my city where I live back in Tennessee. And I was by myself. I was carrying a coffee, surprise, surprise, and I was just kind of strolling through on a really beautiful day in our city. And I walked past this particular bush 
that had flowers on it. I'm not really sure exactly what kind of flower it is. I don't even know what kind of bush it was, but I walked past it. And as soon as I walked past this bush with these flowers, a smell came forward, and immediately I was eight-year-old little CZ at football practice. Like, immediately, as soon as I smelled this smell, I was transported to being like eight at like football practice. So random. That ever happened to you guys before where you smell a smell? And as soon as you smell the smell, it takes you to a place. The power of fragrance is really interesting, the way the brain works. Now, you might be thinking, all right, well, what's the significance of that? Doesn't sound super spiritual, right? Like you were eight years old at football practice? Well, here's the thing. I had kind of a crazy childhood. And my experience as a kid was one that was heavy and it was hard. There were things that I saw, things that I experienced that are terrible things that I wish I never would have experienced in my life. My parents were at odds. They were never married. Alcoholism and drugs was a part of our story. All of the things around me were dark and dreary. And so for me, in the middle of this day, to be walking and to be transported to a good memory in the middle of all of that darkness was like a shining light in the middle of all that was heavy. See how that works? It's like this beautiful fragrance brought life to my heart in an area where there was mostly only darkness in my view. And what Paul is saying is, as we sit and stay and we are in the triumphal procession and we are going out into the world and we're the fragrance of the knowledge of him, as we engage the world and we get around the aroma of Christ, for some of us, when we smell that sweet aroma, it reminds us of how we were dead in our sin. We were going down a path and we were walking according to the ways that we only understood in our own minds. We had our own plan. We were satisfying our own desires. We were coming up with the ways that we thought was best and we continually fell on our faces over and over again. Some of us have been rescued from addiction. Some of us have been rescued from abuse and shame and darkness and depression and anxiety. But when we smell the aroma of Christ, we remember the life that came from him. And in the presence of the aroma of Christ, we're reminded of what we've been rescued from. In the presence of the aroma of Christ, even those of us who are following Christ are brought to life and we say, yes, this is not just a storybook fable. This is not just something that gets me into heaven. There is a relationship and there is a rescue that has come from knowing Jesus. And this aroma, the aroma of Christ reminds me that I have life. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind but now I see. Now I read these things, and again, some of us hear this and we think, man, but somebody like me? Like, could I 
really be the aroma of Christ? Like, is it true? I know you're saying that it's not me that's making the aroma. It's him that's getting his aroma on me. So I need to sit and I need to stay. But but seriously, though, like if you knew me, like if you knew the secret things in my heart, like if you knew, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I got some stuff I'm still trying to work out. Or maybe some of us are going, man, I don't even know if I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm still trying to figure out this whole Jesus thing. Is it possible for me to be the aroma of Christ? Paul even asked this question in 2 Corinthians 2.16. He says, who is sufficient for these things? Basically, Paul is going, like, who could actually do this? Well, the thing that I will tell you that we already probably know is in our own strength, none of us can be the aroma of Christ on our own. We only can emanate the aroma of that we have been in the presence of ourselves. But here's the beauty. Here's the hope as we finish our time. You you start thinking like, what does it mean for me to be the aroma of Christ? How can I actually pull this off? Well, there's this Psalm 139 that might be familiar to a lot of us. This dude David was writing. And when David was writing, he says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. So David voluntarily stood before God and said, hey, check out my mind and my heart and see if there's any bad stuff in there. Now, some of us, like me, would go, why would you voluntarily subject yourself to that kind of scrutiny from God? Like, why would you voluntarily stand there and go, all right, man, I just need to see if there's bad stuff in there. Check it out. Here's why. If it's up to me, if I'm honest, when I think of that, I think I just want to make it through that test just so I can be through that test. But David was praying this because he was saying, I don't want to just make it through. I want to know if there's anything in my heart and in my mind that is a barrier to intimacy with you, God. And if it's there, I want you to show it to me, no matter how hard it is to look at it, so that I could see it, have it be exposed, and lay it at your feet so that there would be no barrier to connection. And what David was saying is when those barriers are gone, when we allow the sin and the shame and the secrets and the things that we've been carrying to be crushed in our lives, that we no longer try to manage sin and make it small in our lives, and we say yes to following the way of Jesus and saying, you can have all of who I am. Now, all of a sudden, what feels so foreign, the thought of being able to sit in the presence of Jesus right now is kind of filled with shame and fear, but when those things are gone, the hidden places are exposed now you can be with him and what he's saying to you today is as you go be aware of what is true in your heart and in your mind lay it at his feet and be connected with him we will be the aroma of Christ not because of what we've done but because of what he's done let me pray for us God you are great and you are worthy to be praised And we thank you for the celebration of the victory of sin and death. And I pray that we would seek to be in your presence and we would be aware of the things in our hearts and in our minds that we hold on to, that we know that we need to lay at your feet so that we can be in intimate relationship with you and leave from that place as the aroma into the world. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. Thank you, CZ.
Thanks for listening to the Bethel University Chapel podcast. Subscribe to the podcast and get more information at chapel.bethelluniversity.edu or check us out on the iTunes store by searching for Bethel University Chapel.